Welcome to the Latitude Podcast. I'm your host, Lamont Lehman. What follows is a conversation with a fascinating young entrepreneur. His name's Daniel Darlin. He's part Dutch, part from Hong Kong, doesn't have the uh, traditional route into entrepreneurship that most people would expect, but he's a gritty, smart, committed young man. Uh, I chose him as the first episode for the show because he was just here on the ninth floor. Exactly the point of the show, it collects these awesome people doing cool things. And he was here on the ninth floor recording his own podcast outside in the wind with cool equipment. And I was like, whoa, I need to learn from this guy because I'm still getting into it. So I went and asked him if he would come and talk to me. And we ended up doing a podcast and he ended up being a fascinating young guy. And so I've accidentally learned all about the creator economy. And as one of the investors here in the Latitude Apart Hotel, it's kind of the thing, I'm a middle-aged guy, I don't know what the creator economy is, I don't take it so seriously. I thought, hey man, it's a really cool thing. One, like, the thing I got from the conversation with him is how much real authentic energy he's putting behind building proper businesses in an economy that's actually real. It's a fascinating conversation. There's a bit of a generational gap between us, which you can see. We try and find each other respectfully during the conversation. We kind of do, but both of us, I think, learned a lot. Enjoy the show. Cool. Well, Daniel Darlin, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, great. So we met, uh, well, it was a couple of weeks ago now. Um, we're here at the Latitude Apart Hotel in Bantry Bay in Cape Town. So I was walking around the hotel and I saw you were recording a podcast outside on the patio, beautiful view, looking at Lion's Head. And I'm trying to get this whole thing going and here's this <laughs> guy creating a podcast outside. I'm like, wow, he doesn't even need a studio. He's just going, how does this whole thing work? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I sort of introduced myself and now a couple of weeks later, we're sitting in, in the studio, you're helping me set it up and get it going. So you're one of the first few guests to join us on the show. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for being here. I remember watching the two of you looking outside of the window while um, one of my team members were recording the podcast here. Oh yeah. And uh, you guys were like, look at them. And then of course, uh, yeah. Yeah, cool. So Daniel, uh, just like for for the audience, you want to just tell us a little bit about yeah you know, what it is you do. I mean, I, yeah, 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 go for it, man. So to give a very quick introduction of who I am, um, Daniel Daniel Dalen. My parents are from the Netherlands, but I ended up growing up in China. And for the last few years, I've been really focusing on building software and creating a lot of content around that that is formed to a beautiful community where we kind of show and give insight on how we do it and. Um, while I do all this, I travel pretty much over the entire world. My base is still in Hong Kong because that's partly where I grew up and uh, where, to be honest, I feel most at home. I always make the joke that I put the Asian in Caucasian. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's kind of where I reside still and where every now and then when I need to kind of consolidate and go back, I go back to. My family is still in Europe. Yeah, that's kind of what I do, software and community classic digital nomad so i'm uh, we we probably from slightly different generations but uh, so i am fascinated by this creator economy i don't really understand what it is and a lot of the people listening to this show are probably similar to me won't 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 really understand we hear it a lot right we know we kind of need to be part of it so here there is in the co-working space there's a podcast studio and i'm getting into it it's a lot of fun but yes, I'm taking my first step into this creator economy. But can you describe, like in your words, what it means to be part of that economy? How is it an actual economy? And yeah. yeah. So initially you have sort of Web1, which was just informative, where people could consume only. And later on, a database allowed us as users to store data on the internet to display and show other people. So that kind of started the concept of creating content where you could create something, you could post it and other people could consume it. Over time that has resulted in platforms such as Amazon that was posting a lot of products for people to buy, platforms such as YouTube that initially started as a dating site. So you would present yourself as a profile to, you know, 
few other people and that kind of resulted in the growth of YouTube and video content and all that. Nowadays, we got way deeper into the creation of content platforms such as TikTok and all that. And that kind of has formed the creator economy where you create content and there's a big audience that consumes that where you can do a lot with, right? You can sell products, you can influence people. And that nowadays is one of the most valuable things because there is such a sea of content available and options even for think of products, services and all that. And everyone's fighting for attention. And what this has created is is the whole creator economy where people are creating things about their passion, like things they're passionate about, things they uh, want to sell, give insights and all that. And it's, to my opinion, it's still early days because when I look at the younger generation, and um, it's even weird for me to say younger generation now because I've always, like I started my entrepreneurial journey when I was 16 and I always remember people being like, oh wow, you're so young. But now there's a newer generation that's on TikTok, which is uh, kind of like, um, I would say after the year 2000. And they're now saying, oh, if you're born below 2000, you're old. And when they said that, I was like, oh my God, like they're calling me old already. Like this is crazy. And what was happening is that that generation now is so, it's so natural to them to speak to a phone that what I expect in the coming few years is that the creator economy is going to be even bigger. And you already start to see brands such as Nike and even car brands to really adopt ambassadors more as the brand of the face than the brand itself. Like think of Nike. Mm. A lot of people think, uh, think of Cristiano Ronaldo straight away, who's a creator. He has been sharing stuff. He's been setting up his own brand. And, and around his profession, which is a football player, there is a, a massive team of people that manage his content as well as the brands that work with him to create content to do mm. one thing and that is grab attention and the way they are able like the way they are able to grab so much attention through such uh, a figure with with that much authority is because of who he is which is his personal brand and that is obviously created through the content and him being on TV being really good at his profession and getting a lot of eyeballs on that and i think that's going to translate into a huge, huge creator economy, which is basically just people sharing and documenting what they do. Yeah, it was super interesting insight. Like what I picked out of what you just said was how, I mean, I didn't, so for me, I feel generally quite comfortable giving talks, being on camera, et cetera. But it is something that someone of my generation had to sort of overcome because yeah. we didn't grow up doing that. And so you see like a lot of the guys with the, most famous podcasts now, all of the top ones. I was looking at this the other day. They do, I mean, I suppose podcast is a different kind of creation in the creator economy, right? It's a longer form, a little bit more serious, more about information than entertainment. But uh, all of those guys are like the Sam Harris, Lex Friedmans, uh, Joe Rogans, et cetera, of the world, all of the older type. And I guess they were, they were comfortable being media personalities first, but now there's about to be this whole bunch of young people that have basically been showing themselves off to the world via their phone yeah. since they got a phone. So there's going to be no shortage of potential podcast hosts or sort of wannabe internet stars, right? Yeah. yeah. So I guess it's become so easy to, like creation is so simple. All the tools and stuff are there now to do that. It's mostly these days about getting noticed, I guess. Like, how do you separate yourself from the competition? It's so much harder than before, isn't it? Yeah, well, I think kind of even reflecting on my journey as a content creator, I think being authentic is, it's not necessarily a given because there's so much out there. There's huge creators with a significant amount of following that clearly show that certain formats of content work really well. And what you notice is that there's a lot of people trying to copy that. And from, for me, what has been working best is just being really authentic and just presenting yourself in, yeah, your kind of like own most genuine way. And that is tough, you know, like you have to open up, you have to be vulnerable, you have to be transparent, but that is what people like to see. And um, I think especially within the whole online world, like a lot of it is fake. And that's also why when you look at, let's say, the the Joe Rogan, for example, like that kind of uh, generation who's also taken a massive, massive market share in the content creation space, is that um, recently I've been seeing a shift and also the 
quality of production of content, which actually was is is becoming way lower than what it previously was. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and the reason why is because people nowadays are are quite used to super high standard podcasts or even advertisements. So they directly know, oh, wow, this is just another very high quality podcast of rich people, you know, who spend a lot of money on production. And that's why even with, for example, platforms such as TikTok, the authenticity that it has to pick up a phone camera, which everyone can do, and then do sort of a similar thing what we're currently doing here on this podcast, that's what really picking up as well. And that's why you're also seeing, for example, uh, taking snippets of a podcast like this and posting them on TikTok with such great results because it's so easy to consume. Mm. And that is um, what what I've seen as a very interesting kind of shift where even some of the biggest advertisement companies, I know this company in Amsterdam is called um, Ghost Bookie. They've been growing really fast. And what these guys actually did to begin with was make really shitty ads on Snapchat. And the reason why is because people didn't assume they were ads because nowadays people are quite aware of what is happening and uh, that they're being targeted with certain things. And when it's then like a super high quality flashy ad, you know, they know they're targeted. So kind of blending into the nowadays very easy to shoot content through advertisement or even through, you know, like a short form content of, of like a podcast is is what is working really well. Okay. So you're going to be quite strategic about seeming authentic by like, or shooting in a way that's not overproduced, uh, like that can be a tactic. So what I didn't realize going into this is how much there is on both sides, yeah. like preparing before coming to shoot and and afterwards, right? Mm-hmm. And there's, like to get good at it, and when you start to dig into this world, which you obviously know a lot more about, but you start to dig into this world, there are whole systems of production around these people that are producing this yeah. content online. So I understand how that is an economy, right? Because you they're actually little businesses. But how do these businesses make money, right? As in like podcasts or creators? <laughs> Uh, creators just generally in the creator economy, what is their m- method of monetization? I know you have a unique one for your business. So I'm like quite keen to hear about that one yeah, as well. Yeah. But what's typically happening out there? So I'd say there's there's a lot of different ways to monetize as a content creator. The most obvious one is brand deals because you're getting a lot of attention and you have a certain level of authority. You have a connection with your audience. And if I were to, for example, talk about the brand of glasses I'm currently wearing, I know for a fact there's a lot of people that will very likely buy that brand. So you could work in terms of like a brand partnership where you're getting paid a certain fee to talk about the brand. You can work as an affiliate where for every purchase you get a certain amount. And those are all things that you can very easily do to make money as a creator. And what you're starting to see is that even the smaller creators, which now goes by the term of of UGC, which stands for user generated content, are making a lot of money because there's all these small brands or even big brands that hire small creators to talk about their product on a big scale and create that level of authority. It's kind of like a review where they say, oh yeah, these glasses have been helping me, blue light blockers, et cetera. Um, I love them and you can buy them here. And even though these people have two to 5,000 followers on, for example, TikTok, which is not much on TikTok because it's, it's a crazy quantity game on there. You can grow to a million followers if you, if you kind of like nail the right format and just keep executing that consistently. I've seen that multiple times. Yeah. Um, and they make a lot of money. They, I think like the average UGC creator, um, can make at least an extra thousand euros a month simply by taking those kind of, of brand deals, especially if you're good at content creation. So I hate it. I hate the idea of brand deals, right? Like just personally, it sits so badly yeah. with me. Like if I want to get an authentic message out to the world, in my head, I'm thinking if someone sees me punt a product, yeah, it's tacky. Correct. Right? Yeah. yeah. I have never taken a yeah. brand deal. In, uh, I've actually been approached quite a bit now, especially since my content is, I, I have a lot of momentum, which I'm very precious of. That's also something within content creation that you need to, be very careful of because as fast as you can get it, as fast you can lose it. Yeah. And what I notice is that first of all, I'm getting loads of, of messages from people uh, asking questions in general, but also uh, brands offering sort of sponsorship or even some dating apps that you know offer like a very, you know, like I can probably say them they offer like from anywhere in between five to ten thousand US for like one video. 
to to basically talk about the dating app. Um, but I know it kind of defeats for me the purpose of doing what I'm doing. Um, I have a very, uh, it's a unique opinion and I'd like to just say what I want to say and stay authentic. And I feel like the moment I start taking money to say stuff that I like this dating app, which I could like or don't like, I don't know, that doesn't feel too right for me, but it's a very good way to make money as a creator. Yeah. But you've got a very cool way and I want you to like, if you can, if you can describe it, but I'll just maybe summarize what I think I know of it in basic terms. But you, there's two sides to you. You're actually a tech entrepreneur, so you're building real products that get out there and used, but you're also a content creator. But you kind of blend those two worlds and you use the money from your content creation side You've got a unique way of monetizing that yeah. through your community and you invest that back in your ability to build products, exactly. standard-based tech products for the world, right? Exactly, yeah. So yeah. I've always been a massive fan of of building stuff with very little resources and trying to build stuff as lean as I could, spending as little money as possible. And I usually always did that through no code. So how does that work? There's tools such as Zapier, Airtable, Bubble, and even tools such as Typeform that allow you to validate and build stuff super quickly and even make money with that. Now, I have been in tech for a very long time. I've built some quite successful products. I've been involved in, in, in big teams as well, building awesome stuff with, you know, like, like tens of thousands of users. And quite recently, we started building a new product. And I love creating content. I kind of decided to really take the content game series a few months ago only. Uh, to half a year by now, time time goes too fast. And then I was like, okay, I know that the infra product or the education space has a lot of potential. Okay. M the reason why I dropped out of school was because I didn't fit in. I was told to do X, Y, Z. That didn't feel right to me at all. And I was a very stubborn kid and I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it out myself. And that turned out very well. But the only reason was because I was I didn't fit into a generalized system following a very specific pattern that was designed for me or for, for pretty much everyone to follow. And I actually felt very stupid in that education system because I was marked with things such as ADHD. Why? Because I didn't fit in. There was a standard that I had to follow. And for example, when I, even when I take calls, I love to walk around, you know, I love to ice bear while I'm, while I'm having my call. And the reason why is because it just allows me to think better. So at that very first stage, I kind of like noticed how personally the education system has failed me. And later on, in combination with creating content, I was like, okay, how can I help a lot of people with my story? Which is exactly what I did. So instead of telling people what to do, I'm just going to show you how I do it, which was kind of when we put together the format of building in public. That is something that throughout my journey, I've been doing um, quite a bit, just like share what I'm up to and how I'm doing it. Okay, but so now let's we just double click there for a second. When you say building in public, which you, you're meaning you're actually live building a piece of tech, building a solution and, exactly. and live streaming it or filming it? or Exactly. So yeah. what I do is... Um, the concept of building in public is basically just showing how you're doing what you're doing, right? Like I'm building a company right now or a software that is focusing on the creator economy and that is solely focused on repurposing content, which was something, a pain point that I had to solve for myself and know that a lot of other creators had that problem as well. So I started to productize that and sell that. Now, that process starts from coming up with the idea uh, taking the idea into reality through building it, validating it, launching it, marketing, eventually selling the company. And that is the journey that I document. So instead of just doing that, which is something that I've done before, now I just stand still. And when I do something, I talk about how I do this. And that's what we've created within our community where we share these insights on, you know, why am I going to re redesign the landing page right now? Well, because we've made more money, we've updated a bunch of features and added new things and that doesn't reciprocate on the landing page and we're losing out on conversion. So why am I going to redesign this now? It's very intentional because I want to convert more customers. Then I explain why I do that, how I do that, and then I actually show them how I redesign the entire page and give reasoning behind certain decisions on how I do it and, and why I do it. Yeah, amazing. And I imagine that takes a lot of practice and I kind of want to get into that a bit, but this community, why are they there um, watching you do that? Now, I'm, I'm interested in discussing the access between entertainment and information or entertainment and education. Are there people that are wanting to learn how to do tech? Are there people that are wanting to learn 
how to start a business? Are they people just wanting to get entertained? I assume they're paying you to watch. Yeah, yeah. Passively, right? Or they interact. It's a it's a membership. Okay. So they pay a monthly fee, and what I've noticed is that kind of the pain point that I had, as in like not really fitting in, feeling like I was forced to follow a certain path that didn't feel relevant to me or that wasn't clearly taking me anywhere. I, you know, took a massive leap of faith and dropped out when I was 16 and started doing my own stuff, which is, which could have gone wrong. But I always had the idea, you know, like if it could go wrong, I could always go back to school, right? But there is a massive group of people that feels the same way, where they feel like they have no focus, where they feel like they're working towards a degree where then only they'll you know, have to knock on doors or reach out to a bunch of companies and and get a response of, yeah, you need experience, which obviously they couldn't have done while studying for that specific profession. Um, they feel very lost. They feel like it's outdated. They don't feel like they're learning things that actually are useful. Like we discussed the other day as well, we had a quick chat about the big gap between the reality of work life and what people learn in school. Yeah. And given these insights is what is making the connection on how things are actually working. Like, how are we making money? How are we managing money? How are, how am I creating company culture? Those are fundamentally important things that they don't teach in school. And that's something that we talk about and simply filling a gap that's there to be filled. So you're actually, I mean, by, by allowing people to watch you work and explain something while you're doing live work, you're kind of, you're bridging that gap between the practical and the theory. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which is pretty cool. Even though it's not a practical experience for the people watching, they're just passively watching that. Exactly. Yeah. But they're paying to do it, right? And yeah. yeah. And, and other than like the content, what I really like about what we're creating is the community itself. When you look at brands and in general, what content is creating, in the end of the day, it's all people that can relate to something. They feel understood. They feel connected. And when you have certain problems and you don't have anyone to talk about, you know, these problems with, mm. then it just becomes a problem that you have to deal with yourself. And whenever there's people feeling lost or whenever there's people that want direction or want to feel inspired by, you know, whatever, something that I'm doing or kind of like get the bits and pieces of information that they're looking for or hoping to get, you put that entire group of people together and they themselves also connect. We've been even seeing... Uh, people from within our community provide work to one another or where someone, let's say, were to close a project for designing a website and then they would find someone within the community to help them out with copywriting. Yeah. So they make money together. Yes. Right? So it's 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 a very interesting dynamic that we're creating of of a lot of people with similar interests, which especially around, you know, the the whole entrepreneurship kind of route as well as making money online space is not always as easy to do. And a lot of it is also focused on simply just that, like simply just making money, simply just showing people how they do it. While we also really put a lot of focus on the community itself. Okay, cool. So then, I mean, it's quite one of the questions I wanted to ask you, because I, I, what's the difference between audience and community, right? Like when people use the word community in this online space very liberally, like yeah. I've, I've, I've built up a community. I'm like, okay, what does this community actually do together? Are there little sub-communities? Do they interact? Um, and can, can you sort of shape the direction that that community takes and to what extent? Or do you just let it, I think let it do its own thing? I think it's a really, really good question. What is the difference between an audience and a community? And I think, just kind of thinking out loud, I would say a, an audience is just some, like an, an audience that consumes. They just look at you, that's it. You know, it's like a, like a football match. They just watch the match. But then you have a community of people that truly support the, whatever, the game they're playing, the characters within that game, like the football players that buy all the merchandise that go to every single event that, you know, tell their friends about it, like a community that even themselves, you know, can relate to it. It's, it's, it's like when you're in a bar and your favorite football club is playing and you're sitting next to someone and they, you both support whatever, Barcelona, then you directly have something to bond with, right? It's kind of like that starting point. And with a community, you basically really create a connection between you and your audience, because in the end of the day, all people want is to be understood. And when you show them that you 
have certain values, that you do certain things that they show a similar interest with, you create that connection. And with an audience, it's super cold. They just consume the community that shows up every single time, you know, on the Sunday matches next to the field or in the stadium. They buy the merchandise, they interact, they share, they tell their friends about it. Yeah. And that's what the difference between a community and an audience is, to my opinion. There's a much stronger connection. Yeah, for sure. So I've been thinking about this quite a bit because people use the word economy easily as well, you know, so sort of creator economy. Yeah. But it's mostly an economy of one. Uh, you're the creator and you've built up a following and people are watching your videos. Let's just take a simple version. People are watching your videos. You're eventually popular enough that some guy down the road will give you free shoes, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Then, and then another five years later, you know, free shoes and free coffee or, or whatever, you know, and eventually you get some guys that rise right to the top. It just seems to me like unless you're doing something you absolutely love and can grind away at it forever without getting paid, it's it's exhausting. You're just going to burn out, right? It sort of goes back to your authenticity thing. But my point was more like, so how is it an economy? And I was thinking about a normal economy, just, well, one that's not in the digital space. But I think it applies as well. Every economy has makers and takers. Yeah. But everybody in an economy, unless you're retired or a baby is both a maker and a taker, yeah. right? You, you're, you, you consume and you produce. Yeah. Um, how does it work in, like if you've built up a community, are there ways to make takers makers? Can you? Yeah, yeah, you, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, within the creator economy, it's, I always say it's very simple. You either create or consume, like you said yourself. But what we've recently been seeing is that there is so many different ways to create. You know, you could start a podcast, you could start a blog, you could start a TikTok channel and make videos of yourself. You could start a TikTok channel just reposting other people's video and use a voiceover so that it's not your face. There is so many different ways to become an actual creator within this economy instead of just consuming. So. It's, it's really about what you are most comfortable with and of course what you're passionate about because I noticed that at some point, yes, there's definitely moments where you feel like you're creating for the sake of creating, which is not a good thing. And especially nowadays with the attention span being extremely fried, it's, it's all you're doing is fighting for people's attention. But I am a strong believer of if you just follow what everyone else is doing, which is currently fighting for their attention and focusing on just short form content it doesn't feel too right to me, you know, like I want to build a genuine, authentic connection with my audience. And I know that the people that value the things that I have to say, they'll be there mm. no matter if I, you know, fight for their attention or just, you know, give a very raw, honest piece of content with a few bloopers in there where I mess up or say things wrong. They don't care because they get the message that they're there because they want to follow the journey. They want to be part of it. They want to learn from it. And they hopefully at some point even you know, it inspires them enough to do something themselves because that's also something that um, I've been seeing a lot. Funny enough, while being here in Cape Town, this is the first time where there's been, I think, I think like around 10 times now where there's actually been people that walked up to me and be like, dude, I saw your content. I love it. It is, it has inspired me to do X, Y, Z. And I've never had that before. And that to me is just so beautiful. And I feel very humbled that that is happening because the message that I put out in the world is reaching these people and it inspires them to do better, to do stuff in a similar direction and, and yes. kind of like, you know, step outside the beliefs that have been created within their own environment through their parents, their friends, and kind of like the, the school environment. And that to me is just, you know, like I would, do nothing else in the world but this just because of that kind of like yeah. acknowledgement of the stuff that I put out there. It must be such a cool moment. Like as you were talking about it, I was thinking, well, that's that's real validation, right? Because in your space, you, well, you're talking to me, you're talking into a machine a lot of the time, and then someone else is cutting it up into shorts, something I learned yeah. from you, yeah. posting that on all the channels with, with um with eyeball algorithm yeah. techniques to get them all in to come and eventually watch you. So you get lots of likes and comments and um, upvotes, et cetera, but you, know, you never actually know what it's done to change a person's life. So it's quite cool, someone. 
Yeah, 100%. Flags are down in the street, right? Me, it was, it was, you know, I feel extremely humbled that that has happened to me, you know? And it, and it kind of like makes me even more excited to keep going and doing what I'm doing because I can see that it has a positive impact, like even within our community, you know? It's like n- no amount of money would outweigh something like that, you know? Like I would trade that for anything if, if like in the end of the day, I am an entrepreneur, right? So I'm very, very... Real, I have a very realistic approach when it comes to the monetization monetization of what I do. You know, I would do this for free if I had to, but you know, that's also kind of like the name of the game. That's not how the world works. Money is important. If you want to scale stuff, if you want to keep doing what I'm doing and traveling, you need money, right? So I obviously have a very realistic approach on what I'm doing, but if I could, I would still do this. And I know for a fact that once I would be able to just whatever, retire, sit back and I would still be sharing what I'm doing and try and inspire the world in a positive way. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's probably a lesson for any entrepreneur is that if you if you don't love it, you won't stick with it, right? So I've been there, you yeah, know. Yeah. I've I've been burned out to the ground, feeling like complete shit, not knowing what direction to head into, you know. So finding that that real joy in what you're doing, and of course having. Um, a financial angle to it to sustain a lifestyle that you're comfortable with is very important. You know, it's yeah. Well, let's dig into that. Uh, so you, that, that inspirational event happened in Cape Town, hey? Someone yeah. came and uh, yeah. flagged you down. That's pretty cool because you're not actually South African or building products in South Africa. But yeah, so talk to me about why why you're here. Why are you in Cape Town? Why is it attractive for digital nomads to come here? I love Cape Town. Okay. Cave Town, to my opinion, is one of the best spots on earth. It's, um, I've been coming here now for, I think, three or four years almost. And pretty much every, every, I would say January until May, April, that's kind of like the period where I stay here. And for me, Cave Town has always been a great spot where I get uh, lots of sun. There's, it's, it's beautiful. There's so much nature. It's very affordable. The people are extremely nice. What I personally also like is that, um, I don't know, like the tiny things such as Afrikaans, like obviously my parents are Dutch, so I speak Dutch as well. And whatever, you know, like when you walk into a store and you make a joke, oh, this is so liquor, 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 liquor. They're like, <laughs> you know, they get it. And yeah. it kind of like still makes me feel a bit at, um, like as of in the Netherlands or like some cultural extent, which of course makes sense because um, the Dutch had quite some influence here, not necessarily in a good way, but... Um, there's still definitely like bits and pieces that I can recognize from from the Netherlands. And for me as someone that is very scattered all over the world, I've always been struggling to find a place that I can call home. And Cape Town to me is a great spot. You know, I, I've always been able to really focus. I like coming to a place like this. Like my team and I spend a lot of time here working. There's good Wi-Fi. We can order food and, and obviously beautiful views. Yeah. So yeah, Cape Town is to me one of the best spots on earth. So I mean, this is the this place that we're in now, Latitude Apart Hotel in Bantry Bay. The, you know, it's got this co-working space at the top of it that we're in now. Mm-hmm. And one of the big drivers of people, you know, of our revenue in this place is digital nomads, right? It's a big thing for people to come. I mean, obviously, COVID broke that all apart. Now people can work from anywhere, so they go and try and work from idyllic locations where it's sort of audible. Uh, so we get a lot of digital nomads coming through here, and they're great to talk to. I'm always wondering like, how deeply they connect to the South African ecosystem of talent, right? So we're yeah. actually quite a unique place. There's a lot of highly skilled individuals here that are in a country which maybe is seen overseas as a kind of a bit backward in many ways it is but we still have this sort of first world element which we're sitting in 100 percent, and that includes all the engineering and creative talent that's here so do you are there are there established mechanisms that allow digital nomads like yourself to plug into the local entrepreneurial infrastructure or ecosystem and do you do that and yeah well i think to um to begin with i know a lot, I know a lot of, like I have a lot of friends that own companies, right? But there is only a handful of them that really employ remotely because I would say one of the toughest things that I've been doing with my company is managed an entire team that's remote. And I'm very comfortable doing that. I've been able to create a very healthy level of company culture when employing people that are not with me in physical presence, right? So for me, it's definitely super interesting to hire talent here in South Africa. Now, have you done that? 
Uh, I've been looking, but okay. I haven't really like found. Also, because I'm, I already have a very, very comfortable amount in terms of the growth that we have currently. I am looking for some, some new people, but not too intensely at the moment. I have a bunch of other friends that have hired local talent here, and the work that I've seen is phenomenal. It's it's incredible, and it kind of goes hand in hand with the kind of thing that I talk about in my content as well, because people always ask me like, how the hell do you manage to travel the entire world? Well, it comes down to the money that I make in, for example, Hong Kong or in Europe. It's 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 worth way more in different parts in the world. Like if you think of Indonesia and all that, and the same applies to like the talent here. And you can, when you were to pay comfortably, which you could if you make money overseas in a place such as uh, South Africa, you get first of all, an, an incredible level of loyalty because you overpay them, uh, like, or not necessarily overpay them, you, you pay them above the average rate and they're extremely talented. There is so much talent here. From what I've seen, the level of, of quality of, of work some of, of my friends' employees provide to him, it's crazy. So I'm definitely looking to at some point expand and, and get some people on the ground here. I just haven't really found like a good solution to easily find that. Like I wouldn't know if there's any marketplaces or that. Like fortunately I have a good following on social media. Yeah. Um, so that definitely works. But I know for a fact that for a lot of companies, uh, even people listening to to this podcast, they should definitely look into hiring talent overseas. I myself have hired from from Africa itself. Uh, I've never had someone from South Africa itself. But I've had people from India, we've had people in China, we had people in um, South America, and they're incredible. And there's just not as many opportunities out there versus the ones in Europe and whatever. So it's a it's a very it's like a massive win win to my opinion. Yeah, I think that's encouraging because South Africa's got this kind of uh, probably at the moment a lot of negative press. Like a lot yeah. of our talent is is leaving the country, and that's as a result of the political situation and bad uh, <laughs> electricity supply, etc. So, like those perceptions, do you like as an international person coming in? How much do they bother you? You know, I suppose you're just traveling, really. But like. Um, Maybe two questions. Do you have the? Do you plan on laying down any sort of? Would you make any investments in South Africa? That's an interesting question. Uh, as I said, this is one of my favorite places on earth. Uh, about three years ago, I actually looked into property here okay. in Camps Bay, but I ended up not pulling the trigger. I wish I did because I feel like it would have been a great setup. I can just go here whenever I want to and kind of like have a monk-like focus on the work that I'm doing and still get to enjoy like the great weather, great people whenever I feel like it. Um, but yeah, definitely at some point I would love to try and see if I can can get some some roots here in South Africa. I think it makes a lot of sense. Like we've also talked about the what happened in China in terms of development and how I think that Africa is next because it's the only continent that really hasn't seen that level of, of development, which it's it's bound to happen. So I think also from an investing perspective, it makes a lot of sense to to get some roots on the ground here. So you're not put off by the political situation, the infrastructural situation in the country? Well, I think every place in the world has its own thing, right? Like okay. I, there's, there's always something happening somewhere. If you compare this to London, like I would never ever in my entire life um, you know, wear my watches in London. Like I've had friends, uh, which is which is horrible. I've had them, um, their skill got bashed in on the street to get their watch stolen without them even asking. They sh attacked straight away. Yeah, you know. So anyone who tells me that this place is, not, I feel more safe here than I feel in London. To be very honest, like yeah, awesome. If you know the right places, and and obviously when you like not go out midnight, but that's like in any other place. Like if you do that in New York or whatever, and you you bump into the wrong people, yeah, you know every place has wrong people. It's yeah, like sure. But in general, I have never had any issues in Cape Town or have felt unsafe ever. And I've been coming here for four years. Yeah, that's cool. That's good to know. So just uh, how I just want to test other angles that that you might connect to. Do you seek investors in any of your businesses, or do you self fund them? 
I'm a firm believer of only getting skin in the game of investors either to open doors or to really just accelerate the the crap out of your business, right? Um, when you found like working metrics. So currently we're actually already making profit with what we're doing. One, because we leverage our own audience, we have the community and that's like resulting in a lot of usage in the product. I myself um, use my team to really maximize organic growth. So one of my favorite, um, it was actually a tweet that I saw recently from Scott Belsky, who's the founder of Behance. That's a portfolio platform from Adobe. And when they launched their product, what they did was acquire their first 100 perfect portfolios manually. So they reached out to the perfect designers and present them their entire portfolio that they've made for them. They've taken all their content and they've onboarded them and they were like, hey, here's the URL. You got all your work displayed in the nicest possible way. Here you go. And they all loved it because they themselves didn't have time. They didn't feel like using a product that just launched that had no visitors that no one know about, knew about yet. And I always look at those kind of things and take those things and, and apply those kind of similar methods to my team. So we do similar things like we reach out to a bunch of content creators. We offer our services for free, our product for free to just get exposure and then build off of that. And I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily do that or leverage that too much or feel like they need money to build things and and validate stuff while in the reality you can just very quickly build stuff. So to answer your question, because that was a, a lot to um, follow up in terms of your question. Um, yes, at some point I will definitely race, but as of now, I'm not actively looking too much to, to race funds. No, I get it. I mean, I think that that makes a lot of sense. It sort of resonates with what I always think. You just, you don't need, I think everyone is racing for the next possible deal. And there are lots of people getting money to go off and have runway to build. And they don't even know if yeah. If there's a market for the thing that they I mean, there's some sort of talk around that, but it's not very precise. They haven't actually gone out and spoken to customers and designed something based on that real feedback or try to sell something just with the most plastered together MVP. Right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people here just race to raise money straight away. You yeah. see that. And they don't get it, right? And then they sort of... They give up, but yeah, it's got to be sales first, right? You yeah. Plaster something together and see if you can sell it. <laughs> Do you get a lot of pitch decks in front of you of people that want to build stuff without having validated anything? I can, yeah, if I if I open myself up to those channels, right? So I'm included in a few where that are a little bit more formalized now. And so there's, there's, there's a few validation steps that happen before that. But they're, they're also not that precise. It's often just like... You're part of a network, people you respect. So they are referring someone into yeah. there and that person pitches, but it's yeah. it's kind of a warm handshake and the person wouldn't refer them unless they knew they were wasting your time. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of just the sort of standard things out there where people are searching, there's like this whole entrepreneurialism is the next big thing, you know. Yeah. Everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, like, get into that space through content creation because it's easy to create, but mm -hmm. they don't necessarily have anything to make or to sell, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So kind of the, the, the structure that we apply to anything that we build is I always use the, uh, which kind of goes hand in hand with my story as an entrepreneur as well. I initially studied design and then eventually I got into software development. So what I always use as an example when I explain people on how I or why I did that is that if you look at Tesla, there's two teams. One team that makes the car look nice and one team that makes sure that the car can drive. If you swap those teams, you're going to get an ugly car that won't drive. I knew how to make the car look nice, but I didn't know how to make the car drive. So I ended up studying on how to make the car drive so that I could be in charge of both. That's kind of like what I did to do what I'm doing right now. And... I don't know why, but I just love using cars, for examples. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that we apply throughout building anything is that if you were to build a car, what would you focus on? The main functionality of the car, because it doesn't matter how nice the car looks, how comfortable it's seated. If it doesn't drive, it doesn't matter. You're not going to, that's like defeating the whole purpose of building the car, right? So whenever we build something, we focus on the most core value proposition of the product that we build. And if that were to be through a simple questionnaire asking if people would use that, that would really be su sufficient for us to validate and put in some extra work to build stuff. And I feel like a lot of people just really tend to overthink how easy it is to launch something and build something and see mm -hmm. if it works. 
So that's kind of like how we go about building stuff and always have an extremely lean approach in whatever we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like going out there and speaking to your market, I just, it amazes me how obvious it is. And you've got the tools now to smokescreen anything, right? Uh, exactly. And see if people respond. To yeah, what yeah. You, you can, you don't need to have built anything to no. do that level of validation. And, right? and even, even with like the, the creator economy, like you could literally just pick up your phone and be like, so, so funny enough, the first, uh, one of the first times I really started to document things that I was doing was when we, we, um, launched a digital currency that later on resulted in the trading platform that I was part of building. And we just very casually picked up our phone, me and my former uh, business partner, and we made one story and it was like, all right, you know, we're going to take a look at how this stuff works. We're going to probably build something. If you're interested, here's a link to a Telegram chat and yeah, we'll keep you in the loop. Within the first few minutes, we had over a hundred people that joined that was sending the link to other people to get them to be involved. And then within the next two, three hours, we had an entire landing page designed that we then um, spent, I don't know, like a hundred bucks on to, to get live and get developed by a friend within our network. And then we had like an entire product up and running and that just keep kept compounding until within a few months in, we had over 30,000 people that had signed up to become part of a, of a pre-sale, which was over, I think, around 500 US dollar, which was crazy. So even taking an idea, talking about it and posting it on a platform like TikTok and just sharing like, hey, I have this idea. I'm just going to try it out. No idea if it's going to work but this is how I'm going to do it. That in itself would already be enough to kickstart and get eyes on whatever it is that you want to do. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the key insight. That's great for an entrepreneur. You can test mm -hmm. for cheap. Yeah. You can live test ideas. That's the thing that was missing before digital economy, right? You couldn't yeah. live test any ideas. So you really had to... And I think that's kind of the, the thing you see in change in venture capital. Venture capital has like morphed to, uh, it was originally about building businesses, raising money and building businesses. Then it morphed into portfolio approach. And it's been that way since like late 70s, 80s, where you just got capital going around, ah, good idea, I'll invest, bad idea, I won't invest, good idea, I'll yeah. invest. And then I sit on the board and I hope you do well, you get more money if you're successful kind of thing. Yeah. And then we sell and we all make money. But yeah. the venture capitalist never actually works in the business. Now what's happening is these venture builders, have you heard of venture builders, venture studios, yeah. et cetera? These things are popping up and they're popping up actually out of venture capital units that are realizing, oh, you can institutionalize entrepreneurialism. There's a certain set of procedures you need to follow. And so we can build our own businesses. All we, mm -hmm. need to, all we need to do is have the idea. But every yeah. time I bring this up, people question, okay, but where's that entrepreneur with the passion that's going to take that business forward? And will, will you be successful without that? I guess that's the unanswered question. I don't quite know yet. But there are some amazing businesses coming out of venture builders, but they didn't come from this lone entrepreneurial genius in the woods, right? Yeah. There was an idea out there and someone thought, okay, well, let me test it. Let me start working it and you know, yeah, go from there. I do, I do really like that because that's also like how I look at if I were to raise funds. You know, It's more about what can they contribute to the business to take it where I want to take it. And I feel like that's kind of like a recent shift where even, even for some of the people around us or or, you know, the, the some of the clients that we've provided some service work for, we kind of like want to position them. And even when they, we help them prepare to raise funds or whatever, we look at it as, okay, you know, like what can this investor contribute to our overall mission? Like, can they introduce us to this person who can help us do that? Can we um, unlock that kind of guidance on how to spend that money better versus just getting the money in and just like, whatever, you know, we'll see what happens and you go do your thing, which is what I really like. You know, it's, it's kind of like sort of mentorship to some extent, I would say. Yeah. You know, just building them from yourself, you know, from scratch. I'm interested, 
You, I know that you have one business at the moment, Twidvit. Yeah, yeah. I, that was a link you sent me. It was pretty cool. Um, I didn't understand all of it because I don't know Twitter super well. But I, I mean, it was basic. It's basically converting other content into content you can easily post on Twitter. Yeah, and the other way around, taking your Twitter posts and converting that into content that's better suited to other social media platforms. Yeah, it's actually only from Twitter to other platforms. So all you have all to right. do is just tweet, and then it automatically just distributes short video content on YouTube, TikTok, as well as Instagram in basically a few clicks. And it's it's quite of a, a trend that we've spotted early on. So I think, first of all, short video is going to be around for, for very long. At least that's, yeah, that's not going to go. But the trend itself could potentially shift. So we're definitely like trying to improve it and integrate AI to like have accurate video backgrounds depending on what the content of the tweet is and all that selecting content based of a database that people can provide themselves so they can just upload their own content and we'll select, cut it automatically for them to really just optimize that. But yeah, that's kind of the tool because that was a pain point that I had, you know, distributing content. You need to be on every platform okay. and all that. So we built so that's where it came from. So you, you, had, you just want to post on Twitter and then... Yeah. Exactly. And then you need a translator to do the same thing on other platforms. Right? Exactly. So, yeah, that's like, a cool idea. The way I look at it is is anyone listening to this podcast, you, I, no one has, uh, like we all have one thing in common and that's we all have 24 hours a day. And it all comes down to how we spend that 24 hour. And I noticed that it was costing me a lot of time to continuously repurpose content. And all I wanted to do was focus on my business post a tweet and that obviously gets distributed across the board of platforms so that I'm very efficient of how I spend my time. Okay. And that's kind of like how this came to an existence. So, I mean, that's, so the idea comes from you, you've gone and built that business, but it seems to me like you have a lot of ideas over your career and you build some, you don't build others. Um, but what's too many? Yeah, <laughs> you're a creator. So, how are you going to balance that uh, tension? I'm similar as well. I have lots of ideas, and I enjoy something while it is new, and I'm figuring it out. Yeah. But once it's stable and going and ready, I get increasingly bored. Yeah. Um, and need to move on. Yeah. So, I fortunately started when I was 16. So I literally had from the age of 16 till I think around 21, where I was really just trying out everything. And in, in the moment I felt a little bored, I tried out something else. But what I realized, which I kind of had to learn the hard way is that we, as if, if I were to ask you what you've had for breakfast this morning, you'll probably remember. If I were to ask you what you've had for breakfast a week ago, you probably still remember. But if I would ask you what you've had for breakfast on 2015, on the 14th of July, you would have no idea. But um, what happens if we start a new action, even if that's executing an idea, and I, to bring an idea to reality and have that idea succeed, that takes time. And we start that idea and we start executing with a very clear intention, a very clear outcome of, okay, I want to start this business because I want more freedom. And it's kind of like a chart that goes exponential both ways. And right in the middle, there's a dead zone where you don't remember why you started that action and you look for that new spark and in interest before you start to see results and basically have more interest um, and keep doing it out. So that's why a lot of people jump back all the way back up to that, that chart where they find that new spark of interest and they try something new. So that's why they keep on not executing and pulling through until something succeeds and they see results that's why so many people are stuck in like, oh, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do because they give up so quickly and so early. Huh. Yeah, I like the way you explained that. So you never feel that's, so I sometimes worry, gee, I'm full of shit. You know, I've just, I go through phases where yeah. so, so much of the stuff is idea stuff. And if you're sitting on the opposite side of the table to me, I wouldn't be surprised if we said, listen, you've been at this now for a year. There's nothing coming out. Like what's going on, right? And yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's hard point, work to stay yeah. focused and keep going, right? A hundred percent. And also, you got to like to some extent be realistic, right? At some point, if you really find out that it doesn't work, yes, then you got to like switch things up. But yeah. you know, I've I've heard many stories of of even software entrepreneurs around me where the first two three years, you know, they weren't making a single dime of money, and they made one small switch. They tried something out new. They listened to their customers, which is the most important thing that you can do because 
that's even something that I had to learn the hard way as well. I always, you know, I'm very stubborn. You know, like the reason I dropped out because because I was like, all right, I'm just going to figure all of this out myself. And uh, that is a very good thing, but it can also be a very bad thing. And we always like to think that we know exactly what people want to hear, what people want to use. But the truth is we don't. You know, it's like you need to ask and, and validate the ideas that you have and get feedback from people who actually want to, to use certain things, right? And that's what they started to do. And after two or three years, within like a matter of no time, they were scaling their software to, to half a million in revenue a month versus doing nothing for the first two years. So if you do really believe in what you're doing and if you have a certain level of validation and you use common sense to see how this would fit into a market, then of course, not giving up is important. But Yes, there is an element of being realistic and just being like, you know, looking yourself in the mirror and like, okay, this idea sucks. It's not yeah. going to work. Yeah. I think, you know, that's the, if you can be in conversation with your customer, that's where it is. For me, that's where the science, that's where the gold is. And that's why I think I've discovered some cool way of doing it. Like if I, someone's come up with an idea, I don't need to decide whether it's a good or a bad idea. I just need to phone 10 customers and yeah. have a conversation with them that this entrepreneur never really had because when they had the conversation, they were looking for signals that their idea was right. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps them going, right? Yeah. But when I'm wanting to decide, okay, do I invest in this or do I tell someone else to invest in this? Or do I tell the entrepreneur to pivot his business model because that's not quite what it's saying? You can pick it up. You can, and I think there's a science right there in that conversation, and that 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 sort of gives you a way of fine tuning your business model in a way that you so you can connect to that voice that's out there. It's actually quite precise about what it wants. The market, yeah, yeah. You I can help the market speak, right? You need exactly. a translator. They know exactly what they want. And yeah, it's. Uh, and then something else, which is even um, whenever you do ask for feedback, you know, a lot of people uh, listen to answer versus listen to understand. So a lot of people actually get feedback from their customers, but they don't really do much with it. You know, they're just like, oh yeah, these people want this. Uh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe build that. You know, we'll see. Let's just focus on the mission. It's like, yeah, the mission is to make the customer happy, you know? Mm. So it's, 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 I don't know. I feel like just in general, there's, so many things nowadays that get pulled out of perspective and they're actually so simple, you know, like even content creation. A lot of people don't take the step because they're scared that they're going to get zero likes or whatever, but that's just the way it goes. You just need to pick up a phone and just try and listen to what people want to hear. Listen to what people like, you know. I started doing that some years ago. There's some seriously embarrassing stuff out there on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's like, I think that's beautiful because if you continue and then at some point it picks up, it just like, that's like the authenticity of yeah. what you're doing, right? Like if I still have videos online of me being 15, barely speaking English, or at least like a bit of a broken accent where I like show stuff that I'm doing and I was like, oh yeah, my recording failed. Uh, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. But back then, like, yeah, that was pretty embarrassing for me to put out there. I got barely any likes. But if I look back at that now, so many people can relate to that that are getting started now where they're like, holy shit, he was there once as well. And now he's doing this and this and that. You know, I genuinely just need to start. So I think it's like a really beautiful element of content creation. Like the first... Honestly, I wish I could go back to that period where it was like exciting, nice, trying things out the first time going viral and, you know, getting a lot of messages and, and all of that. Like it's it's actually, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah. And I can see your face lights up when you talk about it, which is which is cool. So Twitvid, is that, um, uh, when is it going to be mature? And like, if so, mm. like what's next for you? We're a few months in now. Um, I think... Oh, so um, early days. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've been able to validate the idea, launch the product, and acquire the first thousand customers within one month, which was Amazing. pretty pretty sick. Mm. Um, really just continuing that momentum and listening to our customers very well. Currently doubling down on partnerships, making sure that we get the, the hundred perfect creators on board to use our product. And... I'm closely monitoring Twitter's movement because I feel like at some point they might even do something with short video content, which obviously would make, yeah, like a lot of sense to to at some point maybe even try and see if we can sell it to Twitter. Obviously that's shooting for the stars, but I do think there's a lot of room to incorporate 
uh, tools like these and especially adapt on the coming trends because it could be, and that is, I also try and be very realistic with everything that we do, is it could be that this trend dies down, right? It could be that people are so sick of seeing videos with tweets on them that they're just not going to work, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon, but there's a chance that it would, right? So we're really trying to see how can we expend our product as much as we can to tap into different markets to try and see how we can even, whatever, think of LinkedIn or or other platforms like YouTube is also very upcoming. They recently launched YouTube podcast, uh, which is fully, solely going to be focused on podcasts. So there's so much happening in the market in terms of content creation. Mm. And with the team that we have, with the knowledge base on on us ourselves creating content, I'm very confident that we can be extremely adaptive to what is happening in the market and act really quick to build solutions around that and just keep the company to thrive the way it's currently thriving. So um, there is definitely some stuff on our uh, roadmap, as I brought up early just now as well, like playing around with AI. We currently just fetch everyone's tweets or the person that connects, we fetch their tweets. We pick out the best performing ones. And if I were to talk about a bicycle, whatever, like riding around my bike to the office in Amsterdam is a tweet that's been working really well. And that that is allowing me to clear my headspace. Then I could automatically generate a video of myself riding a bike, for example, when you upload and provide sufficient angles of your face, for example, or you just use the existing content database that I've provided myself, or you use stock footage to match that with the content um, in terms of the tweet itself. Yeah, And then of course, like fully automate that because that's one of our main USPs is to really save creators time. Yeah, totally. So, People yeah. that are not willing to be that authentic, right? <laughs> kind of, well, that's the kind of like beauty about it, right? Like you, yeah. you, you try and make it as authentic as you can by automating those kind of things. Yes. And also like if you're, if the tweet's authentic, if you're like sharing good stuff and, and yes, like I don't think you can be as authentic as picking up the phone and, and being transparent and talking to the camera. Like that is not something that we can create that look and feel. But if you balance out those videos with, for example, videos like this, where you take certain parts of whatever your long form content, you turn that into tweets and then you still spread that message across your socials, that is still very powerful because the algorithms nowadays love when people you know, consume your content. That's why you're getting in front of more people because the algorithm sees that you like uh, or that people like your content. So and that also comes with a certain level of consistency. And that's putting a lot of pressure on creators where you know that you have to constantly create to keep that momentum going, to keep your audience engaged, to keep the algorithm happy. And that's why a very simple solution to just create videos with one action, which are tweets that majority of the entrepreneurs and kind of like our target audience is already doing is is a very good solution to, yeah to yeah. have cool so i mean this has been a great conversation i've enjoyed it a lot but before we before i take too much more of your time I'm just interested to ask you what is your secret to keeping going what is your secret to living a good life that involves all of this creation staying positive staying authentic staying focused i mean it's a digital nomad there are lots of opportunities you're a smart guy it's tough it's A lot of people like to romanticize the fact that you get to travel the entire world. But in the end of the day, what it comes down to is I feel a massive sense of responsibility to even my team members because I'm the one who is creating these opportunities, who's making sure that cash comes in, that they themselves can can live a certain life, right? To me, what helps me a lot is mindfulness. Like I try and meditate every day and I try and remind myself of why I'm doing what I'm doing. I literally have a folder on my phone that I call wins, where I have a bunch of screenshots of friends around me, of people sending me messages with positive things on why they enjoy what I'm doing. I always say that being positive is a choice. There's this very, very famous Chinese story about a farmer who is walking with his kid and the kid trips and breaks his leg. And then the like all of his friends and everything are like, oh, I'm so sorry that your kid broke his leg. And the Chinese farmer responds, yeah, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. And then he's like, okay, whatever. And then a few days later, the military shows up and they're like, okay, you know, like we need to have uh, your family and your kids to, to enter the military, right? And he's like, oh, he can't go because his leg is broken. So he got dismissed. And then he says, you know, it's like a good or a bad thing. 
So the moral of the story is that no matter what happens, there's always a good side to something because you don't know what's going to happen next. And I feel like that to me concludes that no matter what happens, being positive is a choice. You know, if something bad happens, you don't know why it's happening. And I always try and look at the bright side of things, which is something that I every now and then just like have to force through. You know, there's been moments where I felt horrible, where I felt like giving up and, and, you know, where I even failed miserably. But instead of, you know, staying on the floor, not getting up, I try and learn from those things and keep going and share them so that other people avoid them. And that for me is, is what I really enjoy. It's the tiny things, you know, like a f- very funny example of um, me posting something on Twitter a day or two ago where I asked if someone would click on this thumbnail. And the first person who responded with yes and a heart emoji was my mom. Oh, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if no one would have seen that, and just my mom would have responded. That would have. That was such a moment of joy and happiness where I was like, oh, you know, like she supports me. She enjoys what I'm doing. She she knows that I'm happy with what I'm doing, and that you know, it's like those tiny things that just gives me so much energy and so much joy in what I'm doing. And um, yeah, I think there's always two sides of it, right? I I feel like what I'm doing, it's it's the pressure is a lot you know, sometimes feeling like giving up. It happens yeah. to the best of us. It's just the name of the game, you know, and just got to keep going. For sure. Mothers make the world go round. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I always, I always, uh, I remember so well when I was in Hong Kong for my 21st birthday. And instead of, um, I know like my parents always send send me gifts whenever it's my birthday and I'm not, I'm, and I'm not around. And I actually th- thought, you know, you know what, I'm going to, do the complete opposite. I'm going to send my mom a gift. And I sat down at my dinner table in Hong Kong and I looked at um, a very nice view and I was like, okay, what am I going to write my mom? And to me, I've always felt kind of lost, right? Like I've never really found a place on earth that I can call home a hundred percent. And I was like, you know what? I'm 21 years old now. And I, came to the realization that it's taken me this long to realize that it's never the place that made home feel a home, but the mother that made any place feel like home. And I put that in that message on a card and I sent that card to her. And uh, like a few weeks later, because it was like, it arrived late and um, she looked at the message only like a few days after she, when she went through her mail and she called me up crying and it was, it was, it was so nice. And uh yeah, that just, uh, I think in general, just made me realize how fortunate I've been to, you know, have such supporting parents in what I'm doing. And that's definitely a major part of who I am today and the values that I live by. So yeah, thank you, mom. <laughs> oh, <that's> Dad. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Daniel, on that note, I think, yeah, it's been a great conversation. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the convo. Well, thank I you so much for having you. me. Yeah, cool, man. All the best. Yeah. Thank you. I'm sure I'll see you around. Ciao. Ciao.